The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the absolutely right place. The buzz today, X-ray vision. What? Are we talking about Superman, Superwoman? I'm not sure. Let's get started. Business and social cultures. Come on, we're all living this right now. They're changing faster and in more ways than we ever imagined. Come on, if you're, you're over 40, over 50, over 60, things we live with every day were not here even a few years ago. For example, not to get political, but let's take Brexit. OMG. A majority of UK citizens apparently voted to leave the EU, the European Union, resulting in a ripple, a disruption to economics, politics, and social cultures all around the world. It just rippled out, and it was an upheaval in many cases. Those of us watching the stock market here in the U.S. said, OMG. So compounding this, we have new technology innovations. Think virtual reality systems. Think AI, that's artificial intelligence. Think about self-driving cars. You know we have a series called The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Think the Internet of Things. We have a series called The Internet of Things with Game Changers. These technologies are transforming every company while new business models are transforming entire industries, talking about a ripple and disruption. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. So now I'm talking to you, our global listeners here on the Business Channel on World Talk Radio. You are in business, or you're running a business, or you're thinking about a business. How can you see around the corner? How can you see over that horizon? What's going to happen? What should you be doing? And most important, how can you take the right steps, make the right strategies to be proactive? I have an answer for you today. You've probably waited a long time to hear this. Ask a futurist, because apparently they have secrets. That's where the X-ray vision comes in, secrets behind their long-range lens. Let me just quickly read you a definition of futurist from... Wikipedia. The alternate word I found out today is futurologist. That's a new one. Futurists or futurologists are scientists or social scientists whose specialty is futurology or the attempt to systematically explore predictions and possibilities about the future and how they can emerge from the present, whether that of human society in particular or life on Earth in general. I love that vast viewpoint. So the experts speak. We have a panel. You've heard them all before here on many of our shows. They are our top three futurists, and you'll find out why. Let me just tell you who's on the panel today. Frank Diana, Principal, Future of Business at TCS. 
welcoming Frank back, joined by Gray Scott, futurist and founder and CEO of SeriousWonder.com, that's one word, joined on the panel rounding it out by Kai Gerlish, Research Director and Digital Futures at SAP. I'm so excited to have the three of them back. And this series today we're talking is Future of the Future with Game Changers Radio. And I have a shout out to my colleague Brad Borkin at SAP who put this panel together. So let's first start out by introducing Frank Diana. And Frank has sent me a quote from John Legend. Now, being a lyricist, being a musician, a composer, very talented one, an award-winning one. John Legend certainly has a view of the world. And I'm just going to read a little bit of a lyric from his song, If You're Out There. And the line I'm going to read last is the quote Frank has sent us. So, if you hear this message wherever you stand, I'm calling every woman, calling every man. We're the generation. We can't afford to wait. Here we come. The future started yesterday, and we are already late. Frank Diana, welcome back. Are you a big fan of John Legend? I certainly am. I, I am. I'm a big fan of music in general, but I really like him. Wonderful. So tell me something. You, I don't think in all the shows you've been on with me, Frank Diana, I don't think you've ever quoted a song. Am I right or wrong? Uh, you're right. So why today? Why is this so important? Well, first of all, I love the song. Um, and, and contextually, it, it speaks to the critical need for the world to change and how, as the quote states, we're, we're already kind of late. And if you think about all the dynamics in play today, and even the reason for this show, the focus on futurists, there are a number of things coming together that give us the ability to change the world. I really believe that the exponential pace of science and technology gives us the levers, the dynamics are there for us to make the change that are reflected in the song. But um, we're just kind of late. And I, when I say late, I mean that if you, if you look at organizations and leaders um, they're kind of viewing the future in an old kind of, through an old kind of lens. They're not thinking about the future in a way that I believe they need to, and we'll talk about this during the course of the show. But I think uh, a lot of folks need to really start to break out of the status quo mode and really, really focus on where the world is heading. Thank you, Frank. Very interesting perspective. I'm, I'm actually delighted that you sent us a quote from a song. When we started many of our Future of Something shows, Frank, a year or two ago, Future of Cars, Future of the Future, uh, Business Innovation Networks of the Future, um, what have we got, uh, All kind of Future of Business with David Fowler at SAP, I looked up what the future was, what the meaning was, and I started saying on many of these shows, the future is what happens after I end a sentence and you hear the invisible period. That was the future, and it's... <laughs> Frank, we're already late, right? It's already passed. By the time I end the sentence and start the next one, that future is already gone. Do you believe that? Do you agree? Uh, I believe that, and I think the biggest the dimension or, or aspect of change that people aren't getting is speed. It's the speed yep. at which this is happening. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Frank. Always a pleasure to have you on. And now let's bring on our second panelist, another regular here on Game Changers. It's Gray Scott. And Gray has sent me a quote from Alvin Toffler, who lived from, well, actually, he just left us a couple of weeks ago. He was born in 1928. He passed away June 27th this year. Toffler was an American writer and futurist, there's that word, known for his work discussing modern technologies, including the digital revolution and the communication revolution, with an emphasis on their effects on cultures worldwide. If you're scratching your head, who was he? His first major book, Alvin Toffler's, was called Future Shock 
which became mm-hmm. a worldwide bestseller and sold over 6 million copies so far. He also wrote The Third Wave in 1980, Power Shift in 1990, and on and on. He has significantly influenced the thinking of business and government leaders around the world, from Newt Gingrich to China's Zhao Ziyang to AOL founder Steve Kay. So there you go. Here is the quote Gray has selected from Alvin Toffler. It is better to err on the side of daring than the side of caution. Gray Scott, how are you? I'm good, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back. We are delighted. You're one of our top, well, right now, you're one of our top three futurists, our favorite people to go to. So tell me, how is that lens looking? Are you able to see around corners? Do you have x-ray vision, Gray Scott? (laughs) I don't have x-ray vision. I wish I did. Um, But what I can tell you is that there are signals uh, that a lot of futurists are paying attention to. And uh, this is not something that is exclusive to futurists, and this is what I say to a lot of people. We are all futurists. If you have the ability to focus your attention, whether you're a CEO or whether you're a mom taking care of a family, you can see the signals within the culture, within your children, uh, within uh, business. You can see those signals, and, and that gives you the ability to respond. Um, I always like to say to people that we should be proactive and not reactive. And you hear this all the time when, when futurists get together. We should be looking at the way we behave in the future as if we were driving a car. You would mm-hmm. never drive a car looking in the rearview mirror all the time. You need to look forward to drive this car. And so part of uh, what I think is important for this show specifically is to get people to think about the future and give as much attention to the future as they would give history. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Thank you, Gray. Good perspective. And um, by the way, are you a big follower, a fan of Alvin Toffler? I think it was a, a big loss when he left us. Do you agree? It was because he was not only influential within business and government, he was influential in the mass uh, consciousness, the mass culture. Um, And that, I think, is just as important as business and and governance. Absolutely. And I think you have that kind of worldview. By the way, Toffler was a visiting professor at Cornell, a faculty member of the New School for Social Research. There you go. He was a White House correspondent and, of course, a business consultant. Thank you, Gray, for bringing this wonderful quote to our attention. And now I'd like to introduce our third panelist. He is Kai Gorlish, G-O-E-R-L-I-C-H, Research Director and Digital Futures at SAP. And Kai has sent us a quote from Oscar Wilde. We're getting literary right now. Oscar Wilde's full name, and he lived, by the way, way back, 1854 to 1900, right on the cusp of a whole new era, Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wilde, W-I-L-D-E. He was an Irish playwright, novelist, essayist, and poet. After writing in different forms throughout the 1880s, he became London's most popular playwright in the early 1890s. He's remembered for his epigrams, and he wrote The Picture of Dorian Gray, as well as plays and the circumstances of his own imprisonment and early death. Very, very interesting. And he also wrote in 1895, The Importance of Being Earnest. I'll leave that alone. Anybody wants to look up more of that, look up Oscar Wilde, W-I-L-D-E. Here is the quote Kai has selected for our show today. The future belongs to those who see possibilities before they become obvious. How perfect. Kai Gerlish, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for being here. 
I thank you for being here. I thank all of us for being here. <laughs> thank you. Kai, talk to me. Are you a big follower of Oscar Wilde? He's from another era, but certainly very popular. Yeah, not, not follower, but but um, the, the most beloved, the most quote, the quote that I most love from Oscar Wilde is, "It's it's better to lose a friend than to leave out a bon mot." So that was something that uh, was really my motto for some years. After no no friends were left over, so I decided to 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 behave a little bit different. But um, I read some of his novels, and uh, but this quote is perfect, I think. So that's uh, why I have chosen it. I absolutely agree. Now, do you consider yourself a futurist, Kai? And do you know how to bend corners and look around corners? Is this something that you say to people, I am a futurist, I can help you predict, project, understand, be proactive on what's coming around the corner for your business, your industry, your company, your startup, tomorrow and all the tomorrows after? Is this your position? That's my position if I'm not starting to get afraid of it, yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is it scary? Let me just ask the panel. Is it scary being known as a futurist? Uh, Frank, do people call you up and say, so Frank, what should I play in Las Vegas tomorrow? And, and what's going to be my business for next year? And, and should I adopt this technology? Frank, do people actually say that to you? Frank, the, techno- the, the futurist technologist? Well, first of all, I don't know that I'd consider myself a futurist in the, in the true definition that you used earlier. But mm-hmm. <laughs> the scary part to me is... Um, seeing some of these dots that will connect in the future and their implications and struggling with getting up to see it. Uh, to me, that's the scary thing, where that level of urgency or, or will to look and see is, is scary. It certainly is. Grace Scott, are you scared by this? Well, you do position yourself as a futurist. So what's, what's your uh, any fear factor in what you do, Gray, and what people ask you to do? No, actually, I'm, it, it doesn't frighten me. And, and in fact, I've used that in my business um, to my advantage uh, to a lot of ways. Because, and I, and I think going back to Alvin's work too, you know, his book Future Shock. That's what we need. We need someone to stand up and say, we need to change the paradigm of how we think. And so, taking on the brand and committing yourself to calling yourself a futurist, it does. You know, it does convey a sense of shock when you when you speak to people. Most people say, "I don't know what that is." So there's a <laughs> whenever I'm on a plane, I have like a ten minute conversation just telling people, you know, what it is I do. Um, but I embrace that because I think that's what we need right now. We need to be shocked out of the old paradigm. We need to be we need to think differently if we want to live in the future. That's a very interesting perspective. Do you think? Long-time traditional business leaders, owners, managers, people have been around for a long time. Do you think they've always known this, Gray? Do you think this is breaking news, that they need to be proactive and change all the time rather than business as usual, resting on your laurel, same old, same old, yada, yada? Do you think this is breaking news? Well, I don't think that, that thinking proactively is, is something new because we've, all, we've always had a certain percentage of our society uh, and our species that have have thought about what's over the horizon, and those are usually the people that create business. Those are usually the people that say to uh, the rest of us, "We have something new to show you. We have something. We have a new solution to your problem." And so, those people are proactive thinkers. And whether they would say that they're a futurist or not, they're thinking like a futurist. Okay, I guess they need to. Thank you very much. Kai, weigh in on this. What do you think? Is this scary? 
for for some people it's scary. I think the most scary part is is not that we are we humans tend to think in only one future actually. So if if you start to think in multiple outcomes or in plural worldviews, uh, it's getting a little bit uncomfortable. So you have to get used to it that the future is nothing solid, where you can mm-hmm. say okay it's to the left or to the right, but it's something you know you have three or four potential futures that you explore simultaneously. So you have to develop a kind of, of, of a pathfinder mentality into the future and not stick with one very concrete because uh, we all know that this will probably not happen. So you have to, 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 you have to think differently, not in these zero ones, left, right, extreme thinking, but more leaving open space um, so that the reality will change up uh, our, our um, our models, actually, that's what, what will happen anyway. So while we walk into the future, our, unfortunately, our scenarios will be uh, destroyed anyway. But it's, it's the thinking into the future that that's actually sometimes a little bit uh, scary. And some, sometimes, you I mean, for example, uh, um, artificial intelligence, uh, I find not so easy to digest. I think it's a little bit scary if you think about a Terminator mm-hmm. scenario. Um, or gene editing. This is nothing where I, where I'm particularly, you know, I, I don't like to think about it because it's easy to think. It's very exciting, but on the other hand, I see, I see the dangers and the potentials uh, parallel. But I think that's that's the trick to to leave it open, not to not to judge uh, too early. And don't bet all your chips on one number. And I have a quick mm-hmm. quote here to share with the panel. The best way to predict the future is to invent it. I think you're all familiar with that. The question is, was it Abraham Lincoln or Peter Drucker? Or did Peter Drucker hear it from Abraham Lincoln in a dream or read it somewhere in his papers? But it's been attributed to both. And I think that's part of what we're talking about today. So now it's time for me to find out a little personal information from my panelists. They've done this many times before. So let's see what's in their cup today. Frank, Diana, where are you calling from and what are you drinking? What powers you as a futurist? <laughs> I am calling from uh, New Jersey, and uh, alas, today I'm, I'm kind of boring. I'm just drinking water. Frank, you're never boring. Tell me, if you had to drink something else, if you had a choice and it wasn't water, what would it be? Well, it'd be my Sam Adams waiting for me in the refrigerator. There you go. It's a little early, right? I didn't say that. Up to you, up to you, Frank. As long as the refrigerator is nearby and you don't have to drive, that's fine. Grace Scott, you're in New York, I understand. What are you drinking today, or what would you rather be drinking? Uh, I'm actually in New York City, and I'm drinking coffee with almond milk. Ooh, what kind of coffee did you start out with before you put the almond milk in it? <laughs> Just regular black, uh, super strong coffee. Super strong. Man, after my own heart, I like that, too. Kai Gerlisch, you're somewhere in Germany. Why don't you tell us approximately where? We won't Google the rooftop of your office or your house, I promise. And uh, what are you drinking today, Kai? I'm actually drinking water. Uh, you know that in ancient times, water was used for oracles. So <laughs> well, that's probably no. Um, so I'm drinking water. Uh, yeah, actually, I would love to have an espresso with almond milk in it. But um, if I stand up and walk out the room, probably I will be out of this conference. So I'd rather miss my coffee than this conference here. Okay, well, I'm glad you're here. I'm very glad you're helping us predict the future. Our topic today is what's next for oh, your business? Oh, what, 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 what? Talk, talk, I what? I to mention where I am, yeah. Sorry, yes, sorry. Where I'm are you? Heidelberg in Germany. Okay, what's, what, what time of day and what's the weather? 
It's four in the afternoon, four twenty in the afternoon, and it's actually well, very cloudy. So today we have a little rain, uh, and so the, but it's nice. It's a little bit cooler than than the uh, the days before. It was kind of hot. Okay, already. I'm very glad. It's been very balmy here in New York, and as all three of you know, they don't let me have caffeinated beverages on radio show days, so it's just cool, <laughs> cool, clear. Well, yes, we know, we know. Cool, clear water in a cool, clear cup, and I've got a green straw, green for money, predicting the future. Show me the money. Where is it going to be? How will businesses be able to predict a successful path to the future, whether it's 10 minutes from now or 50 or 100 years from now? Who knows? We are speaking with three esteemed future. Futurists, they are smart, they are knowledgeable, they get it. It's Frank Diana at TCS, Gray Scott at Serious Wonder. If I got this right, I'm checking here, SeriousWonder.com and Kai Girlish at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after I take a sip of my water. We'll be right back with a lot more on how do these futurists do it. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back 75 seconds into the future. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. An unprecedented pace of change, driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things, is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars. The sharing economy and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Here we go. Indeed, it's the future of the future. And as I speak, the future has already happened because I ended the sentence. We're speaking today with Frank Diana at TCS Gray Scott at SeriousWonder.com and Kai Girlish at SAP. We're ready to officially start the roundtable, although I think we already dipped our toe in that water a few minutes ago. Frank Diana has agreed to start this with me. And here's a comment from Frank in his notes before the show. It's a very picturesque comments. See if you can relate. Frank says, the key to seeing the future is an ability to connect many dots in the context of a very big picture. Frank, please tell us more. Well, uh, I like it because it speaks to a leadership trait that I think is going to be more and more critical over time. And that is not just thinking about the future in a forecasting kind of way, but being able to see so many different paradigm shifts that that are in play right now and some ability to connect some dots across those paradigm shifts. Because as I think 
we talked about earlier on the call, we do have multiple futures emerging, and you can't predict at this level. I think in the future, all we can do is rehearse it. And so connecting these dots, understanding the implications of these various paradigm shifts and how they influence and impact each other and amplify the effects of one another, those things to me are the most important things that leaders can do in focusing on the future, uh, remaining viable and relevant in that future, and, and more importantly, leveraging this change in a way that constructively changes our world. There's so many examples of things that we can do now with science and technology, but you have to be able to see those dots. And, and I think that's one of the critical challenges in my discussion with leaders is, is exactly that, seeing those dots, connecting them, understanding how to rehearse these futures in a way that, uh, again, keeps us relevant. Interesting. A quick question before I bring in Gray and Kai. How do you train people to see those dots, Frank? Everybody's busy with now. Most executives and most business leaders, they're just trying to figure out what was last quarter, what do we do, and what's the competition doing now. How do you train them to to set their eyeballs on the dots that are coming ahead or the dots that are there creating a new pattern? Is that a mindset? Is that design thinking? What do you do to teach them how to do this? Yes, but it's a little bit of both. It's a mindset shift, and it's clearly a creative, innovative, design thinking kind of, of thing. And quite honestly, you hit, you hit the nail on the head, and that is the here and now focus, the, the growth orientation of organizations is really is going to prevent uh, leaders from, from making the shift, I, I believe, in what I have seen. And if I, if I liken it back to past revolutions, the transitions in those revolutions did not go well, and it really took a next generation of leaders to really drive to the, the gains that those revolutions ultimately gave us. And so my fear is that really we, we will need a new generation of leaders if we're going to uh, navigate this future, if you will. That's where I was wondering if you were going to take it. Thank you, Frank. Grace Scott, love to get your point of view on what Frank just shared with us, please. Well, I do think it's important to connect the dots, it is important to, to recognize patterns um, because those are the things that influence the way we think about the future. Um, I just want to say, too, that um, a lot of times we have a tendency because, as you said, Bonnie, we, we have to live in the now because you have to sort of figure out you know, what's happening to you in every single moment, whether you're running a, a company or if you're a small business owner. Um, but you also have to plan ahead, right? So every mm-hmm. single company around the world should be looking at their 5, 10, 20-year uh, goals and understand the patterns that are emerging right now that will influence that decision. So if you already have 10 years out, if, you already, if you've already created a structure, a scenario plan for 15, 20 years out, that scenario plan can change because of the emerging patterns that, that we're finding. The, the thing that I think is complex uh, when we talk about the future now is that we have so much data. We have so much um, mm-hmm. content now. We understand patterns, and we can see the patterns better than we've ever been able to before. And, and it's, becoming, uh, it's becoming a science that is going to shift the way that we plan for the future. So whether it's creating movies, whether it's creating narratives for science fiction uh, writing, whether it's planning strategic foresight for companies, there is a data set now that you can look at and make your decisions based off of that because we we have so much data 
and we've been able to crunch that data. You know, this idea of big data and the future of big data is, is really uh, interesting to me because how do we use that, and, and how does that influence our 5, 10, 15, 20-year plans? Hey, Bonnie? Interest. Yes, yes, hey, go ahead. Frank, just a comment. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an excellent point in terms of um, the data and the ability to analyze that data in a way that helps us rehearse, as I mentioned before. So that rehearsing, to me, involves simulations that leverage this data and allow us to understand potential paths that these scenarios that are emerging can take. And so it does influence decision-making, but as, as Gray also said, but it's an iterative, constant, changing kind of thing because as the patterns change, so then does our potential decision, right? So I, I think it, the rehearsing piece of this is clearly supported by the data and simulations that it allows. Thank you very much. I, a very provocative concept. Uh, I like the idea of the crunching and the rehearsing. We're going to talk more about that rehearsing part. I think that's critical for our listeners to understand. But first, I want to get Kai Gerlish's point of view on this. Kai, we've heard from Frank. We've heard from Gray. A little back and forth here. What's your POV on, on what we're talking about so far? The the my my position is more that that data helps unless you won't help unless you have a clear idea of how to approach it. So I'm afraid, but that's that's my personal opinion that all this big data stuff will end up in being all the answers will be uh, 42, the famous 42 answer. So you have to have a concept of how to tackle the future, and in most cases, as I said earlier, we approach it too narrow, so we, we condense everything in the first steps. We're coming from innovation, very much from thinking from incremental innovation, where you basically try to make a product better or a service better. But this is not how, how the future will look like. It's, it's a little bit more fuzzy. So we have to be aware that with all these data, that these are only models and simulations as well. So we, we, we have to to, to learn how and when to trust these data models and especially when to think beyond and, and say no. Although the data go into one direction, uh, we better look another time. We, we saw that with our financial systems. So if we let these, these models run automated, it might be that they produce something meaningful on the first hand, but it, there are always assumptions underlying assumptions and we all have them and the programs have them and that's the the biggest difficulty that i see to be clear in every at every step in this process what are the underlying assumptions and where are my biases so that's the biggest the biggest obstacle or the biggest biggest problem that i perceive very interesting frank i'm going to circle back to you and have you comment on what kai just added thoughts on the fuzziness of the future and trusting data models business models what's your pov on this i agree i mean that's why i said earlier that predicting is really just not something we can do anymore and that's why i focus on the rehearsing piece of this right because one there is so much data and there's a lot of noise in that data so it's very challenging to actually get to the insight or the foresight if you will in that data and and i can tell you from my experience that analytic prowess or analytic maturity in most organizations is not at a level that will support what we just talked about. So there's also a maturity that has to occur within most organizations on the analytics side to enable some of this. Interesting. Gray, love to have you chime in on this. Thoughts? Well, I love the yeah, analytic, analytic maturity. 
that that phrase in itself um, is what I think you and I have talked about on the show before, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that we are still technologically we are technological infants right now. We we are still figuring out what this machine that we're creating we're trying we're we're figuring out what these machines do and what to do with all this data. So I love that that phrasing. Thank you very much. I I want to go back to something Frank said a moment ago about possibly needing new new staffing, new workforce, new people to embrace this concept of looking at the future, finding the dots, connecting them the right way, knowing what data models, business models to trust, how to get get around that fuzziness Kai described. Frank, you want to talk about that for a minute? I know it wasn't, I don't think it's in any of our notes, but I'm very curious. What would your advice be or your suggestion for businesses about who are the right people to embrace this, to lead this this, in other words, does every company need a futurist, a built-in futurist on their staff? Does that person need a seat at the C table, the C-suite table? And who will that person be, Frank? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with uh, Grace. Grace said it before that every company is a futurist. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think over the last twenty-five some odd years, futurists kind of fell out of vogue. Even saw it at the at the U.S. government level, where some future forward-looking agencies were shut down. Uh, so, so that needs to come back to the forefront as far as the importance we place on the role of futurists. But in terms of who, uh, it, it's really wrapped up in this, in this uh, left-brain, right-brain shift that's happening. Right? Our, our past business orientation was always left-brain oriented, planning and, and models and math and those kinds of things, whereas the creativity and innovation and empathy and all the, the right-brain characteristics that we humans bring to the table are much more important going forward. And, and those are not easy skills. We don't teach that in, in our schools. Um, and it's hard to retain that level of talent because they have so many options today, and they're more likely to want an entrepreneurial environment than a large company environment. So it, it's really a challenging issue in my mind because it's a, a specific skill set, and it's difficult to retain that skill set. Interesting. Gray, do you agree or disagree? What do you think about that skill set? Will it be you? Will it be clones of Gray Scott? <laughs> Well, I do think that in in the next five to ten years, um, you know, because we, I, I do feel like there is a resurgence of of companies getting futurists back on the boards and and getting involved with that. But in the long run, in the long game, um, artificial intelligence, big data, artificial intelligence, those those types of machines, uh, and that kind of software uh, is definitely going to be a part of of the game. I mean. No one human being can, even at this point, no one human being, no matter how good of a futurist you are, can sift through the amount of data that we have right now and, and make sense of it. There's just no way. You have to, you have to sort of pick your battles. And typically, uh, if a company approaches you and says, you know, tell us what the future of our business is, I'm not necessarily looking just at your business. I'm looking at the entire map of your competition, you know, where your blind spots are, all of those things add to uh, the, the crunch that we're headed towards. And, and trying to decipher that is going to take machines. Ah, interesting. Okay, we're, we're moving into machines here. Kai, what do you think? What do you see? Yeah, I agree on, on, on the material that's, uh, that's, that we are swamped with. Um, I think that the machines will help to read through it faster, so so that you that we will be able to to crunch it much faster than in the past. And I agree very much that 
that we need some some training on um, on data analytics. Uh, but that training has to be has actually. I think personally, I think that the training has to set in a little bit earlier. It's not just about data; it's about how we think. Because most of the people, the most of the problems start when you when you do not realize that you're biased and that you constantly tend to think in a certain direction. And and uh, this is especially the problem if you have a if you have these famous business leaders, of course, with this big self confidence that uh, I'm lacking, but uh, yeah, due to their success, and they think, you know, I'm always right, and they go ahead, and in many cases, they were right, but instinct that gets you only so far, and that's the, 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 the human problem that we have here, that, we, that you basically have to really learn, where is your bias, how do I tackle problems usually, is there another way to do it, and if I'm not able to, who, who will help me, and then in addition, of course, learn how to cope with these huge masses of data. What actually is a set of machine-generated data telling me? Where is it coming from? The, the sensor out in the streetlights, what, what is this sensor telling me? And what it is not telling me? So the, the things will get a little bit more complicated. In the past, it was more an art. And in the future, it will be a mixture of machine thinking and cognitive human capabilities, I think. Thank you very much. Frank, any closing comments on this one before I move on to some very strong words from Gray Scott's notes? No, let's, let's hear those strong words. Let's hear those strong words. Okay, Gray, you're, I'm about to go on record with your statement. I think John Legend might want to write a song about this. Here we go. Gray Scott says, the future is here now. Denial will only crush your company and provide a pathway for your competition. Change is hard, but change is cosmic. Nothing can stop the future from arriving. Gray, I think we wrote a song here. What do you think? Gray, talk talk to me. This is strong stuff. Frank, I said it was strong, right? These are very strong words. So, John Legend, I hope you're listening. We need another song. So, Gray, talk to me. What do you mean denial will only crush your company, provide a pathway for competition, changes cosmic? Let's define some of this, please. Well, you know, we can always look at the, the classic case of, of Blockbuster and Netflix. I mean, this was a prime example of someone who saw a pain point and resolved it for people, right, instead of having to go out and go get your DVDs or, uh, at that time, it was tapes. Instead mm-hmm. of having to do that, you were able to press a button from your sofa and a movie was there digitally. I mean, they, they resolved that. They, they saw that opening. And Blockbuster was completely set to do that. But for some reason, that wasn't the, the, the path that they chose. And so that's just one example, but you see them all over the place now. And you're going to see more of this. The companies that think that they are untouchable, the, the companies that think that they can't be affected by the future, the, the decentralization that we are experiencing means that more people have more opportunity to disrupt. And that in itself is what I mean when I say denial will, will crush your company if you don't pay attention uh, to the future. And that is literally, and, and when I say the future, I mean the idea that we are decentralizing, that we are putting technologies that are so powerful in the hands of everyone now. So if someone has a good idea now, they can create, they can 3D print, they can structure a business in a way that can, it, it, it seems like it wouldn't affect a major company, but suddenly they've created an app, and a million mm-hmm. people download it overnight. 
So that is, that is you know, talk about game-changing. That is true game-changing future thinking when you realize that your company is facing a decentralized horizontal market. And so that, that is why I say it that way, is because I do want you to be future-shocked. I do want people to, to say, wow, we need to rethink the paradigm, right? I mean, we have crossed the technological event horizon here. And we have in, we, we've sort of entered the first stage of the singularity, this idea that our data is moving faster than we can keep up with. Decentralization is happening faster than companies can sort of realize that that paradigm is true. And so that's what I mean. Thank you. <laughs> Very profound. I love this stuff. <laughs> Kai, agree, disagree with anything in that uh, song lyric I read from the new composer, Gray Scott. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. I think that's that's the the that the change is. You can really see, for, for example, that that when I want to threaten some customers, I tell them that the the digitization, which is the the biggest movement that we have for now, the digitization is shortcutting the supply and value chains. So this is exactly uh, what we heard. So now everybody can basically set up a, a company and target your, your valued, most valued customers directly. We see this movement. Uh, I mean, it's basically Uber. You don't go to a taxi company. Mm-hmm. You, you go for somebody who has a car directly. The same with Airbnb. You don't look for hotels. Hotels, you look for somebody with a free room. And we see that on professional supply chains as well. So this is really disrupting on a, on a bigger scale. And companies usually miss this out because they feel safe, because this is how we build up the stuff in the 70s and 80s of the last century. This is how most of the industry thinking still is, top-down or bottom-up supply chain, period. We know how to produce. These are safe partners. And then they are not. And so this is really... And and then when they are starting not to become safe partners, the reflex is like we had with Uber, let's jump on the company, you know, and forbid this this business. It may or be, be not a good idea, but you can see that the tectonics are really strong. So more things are moving than just a supply chain, which would already be enough to crush some, some companies. So I really, I think that's, that's the right description, although it sounds very doomsday. No, I think it sounds realistic. That's what we're talking about. Frank, Diana, do you think Kai has been doomsday, or do you think this is the wake-up call we believe our listeners need? It's a wake-up call. I would tell you that, in my experience, it's perceived as doomsday and just kind of fear-mongering, um, which, which is a shame because I think that allows leaders to uh, miss what's really coming. But I use, I use a couple stats to really drive the point home, and they fascinate me. The, the first one is that there's expected to be 7,000 billion more billion-dollar companies in the next several years. And if you, if you stop and think about that, that's a fascinating number. And the second G- give one, me that number again, Frank. I'm going to interrupt you. Just give it again. I want to tweet this. So expecting to see 7, how many? 7,000 $1 billion dollar companies in the next 7,000 $1 billion dollar companies. Yeah, and that all speaks to the points that have been made here, that the ability to scale rapidly uh, exists and, and very disruptive in and of itself. And the second one is that 50% of the Fortune 500 in 2025 isn't even born yet. So the, <sighs> the relevance of today's company is in question. And I am mm-hmm. amazed at the just basic digital strategies. Digital is how, long, how many years old now that companies have yet to embrace. It, 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 you have to be concerned about their ability to react, respond, adapt 
to the things that are coming because they haven't done the foundational work required to do so. So it's not doomsday. Okay. It's real. It, it's, not re- it's not doomsday. I, that's what I said. I think it's real. Gray Scott, doomsday or real? Mm-hmm. What's your POV on this? Well, I think it's absolutely real. I think that the, we've all sort of touched on this uh, so far in, in the underlying context of what we're talking about here. And what we're really talking about, as I've brought up many times before, is it is that we are layering our business on a human um, uh, paradigm that needs to shift. You can't change the business if you don't change the human, right? We, we can't change the way that a business operates if we don't change the way we think. And so that is a huge part of what futurists do is to actually get people to rethink their now and rethink their future. So H.G. Wells uh, had a book in 1902, 1902, The Discovery of the Future, and you can download it on your Kindle. It's beautiful. So it's a quick read. I think it's like 90 pages. And in this book, he talked about two types of people, two types of thinking, passive and active. The passive thinking is, well, we do it this way because this is how it's always been done in the past. Mm-hmm. But the active thinker, the active thinking is, well, we do it this way just because we haven't invented a new way yet. So mm-hmm. I, I want to see more people, not just companies, because that's where, that's where the business strategies come from and are embraced, I want more people within the company to be more active with their thinking. And so I think that having a futurist within your corporation that is constantly using that as their strategy to change the way the people within the company think, that's important because that changes the way that we do business. Hi, thoughts on that? We got away from doomsday a little bit. Do you agree that every company needs a futurist? Uh-huh. Maybe not a dedicated futurist, but definitely the thinking, because we see in some companies this, this, functions, this function is uh, separated or, or is in, within several people, so they don't have a dedicated futurist. But I think it needs that thinking, definitely, and it's uh, exactly like, like we, we point out. The, this is a different kind of thinking, and it's, it's a more, it has more to do with how artists, artists would behave. It's not just like, you know, hey, I invented a new song, so I, you know, I, I lay down and wait uh, uh, until I get another idea. But a real professional is constantly working on herself, get a little bit better. N- not, not, you know, like, like companies do that, they're squeezing out the last uh, percent of margins. It's getting mm-hmm. better in, in what you really do. It's behaving professional in what you do. And many, many companies are just good at, at scaling a certain business model. And if that doesn't work, they are stuck with ideas because they're not good in being a business. They're good at scaling a, a certain business idea. And that's a fundamental difference, and many people don't get it. Thank you, Kai. And while I have you, I'm looking at your notes, and I want to make sure before we go, well, the show, whole show is about the future, so when I get to the predictions round, I think well, that's what we've been talking about for the whole, almost the whole hour so far, but I do want to cover uh, some interesting questions here, some topics here, Kai. You say all modern problems are wicked problems. I think that's a song yes. title. Complexity is rising. We often have one shot only. Right or wrong are not useful categories 
for the future. Is this doom or gloom or is this very optimistic? You say future and reductionism is not a go. Alternative scenarios help to get beyond simple answers. What would you like to tell us about in this long list of very provocative statements I read from you, Kai? Why don't you pick one or two and, and share them with us? We have just about five minutes till we officially go to the crystal yeah. ball segment. Yeah, okay, I think that's, that's the, the, you can see that the kind of problems that, that we are approaching now are, are can't, cannot be solved with, with what we did in the last century. So in the last century, we, we upbuilt most of the technology we have now, and now everything is more or less exponential. And we know with, from chaos theory and what, what, from, from all these sciences, we know that the predictions are really getting difficult. So you, you cannot say it's, it's left or right. You have to come up with multiple answers. You have to, to be prepared that, that the outcome cannot be decided so easily. And in most cases, the, compl- the, the, the problems like, for example, climate change, uh, or let's take Brexit, for example. Let's take Brexit, the outcome of mm-hmm. Brexit. You know, this is a one-shot thing. You, cannot, you move out or not, but the outcome, you, you cannot model it because we don't know how to model it. Even if we would try, nobody came up with a model. That's the modern problem. So that's a wicked one. Everybody is somehow in it, but we cannot solve it. So you have to come up with scenarios of what this pr- probably means, with ideas of what, how, what that could mean, and not with just one model. And, and that's what I mean. So you have to get really flexible in how you perceive the world. It's not just solid. It's more fluid. Thank you. Frank Scott. Frank, I got Frank mixed up. Frank Diana, then Gray Scott. Okay, we got, we got our... Okay, so Frank, what do you think? The future has to be fluid, right and wrong, or not useful categories? Weigh in here, please, for me. Uh, I completely agree. I mean, the notion that we have a number of future scenarios and rehearsing them. I think this all points back to the notion that we're, we have to be good at rehearsing these things. And, and all the factors we talked about, data, analytic maturity, all those things factor in. But the bottom line is there is no yes or no answer. You can't bet the farm on one projected path because it'll, it'll be the end of you, right? And that puts more emphasis on failing fast, experimentation, you know, the, the lean startup kinds of principles. All those things become much more important. So in my mind, it's about seeing the future, at least in a way that helps you navigate, experimenting with that future, and adapting when you need to. And in other, seeing, experimenting, and adapting, to me, those are the keys to the future. Gray Scott, you agree? Got a lot of provocative things here. I think we're writing a <laughs> writing an ebook while we're speaking here. We're gonna, you know what, Frank Gray and Kai, we're gonna have to publish the transcript of this show because you are all saying such interesting things. Gray, what do you think? Well. I, I do think that every time we look at a new data set, every time we, we take the temperature as, as it is uh, you know, of the culture and our, our society and business and uh, disruption, every time we do that, we're shifting, uh, or we should be shifting how we see the future and how we, we advise people about the future. I mean, there are things that happen all the time that, that are disruptive, uh, that are outside of the world of business that affect how businesses operate. Um, you know, just for an example, this, this is sort of the, the, the fringe of, of some of the data sets that we look at. If there's a water shortage, I mean, just that alone, water shortage in a region can change how you should do business. That, that's, how, that's how we can pinpoint down to a specific data set that you should not be shipping at this time. So, for example, if you're a fashion company 
and there is a uh, a famine in a certain region, and and that famine causes a, a specific color to not be available. I mean, you can see that that would change and disrupt a whole season uh, of operations. So it's everywhere. And and like I said before, we're going to have to use machines to sift through this data because we're getting so much of it now and so much more of it is more accurate uh, because the, the data sets are bigger. You know, we're not just, the data sets aren't just from a thousand uh, people. You're getting hundreds of thousands of people now. Very provocative. I, I want to recommend a book to the three of you. I had on my personal radio show last night a gentleman named Michael Dow, former CEO from startups to big, huge businesses, and he left the business world recently to write a novel. And what's interesting about this is his novel is about extreme income inequality of the near future. And he mm-hmm. paints a world where a, an executive would easily be able to buy an $8 million car that is completely programmed, doesn't even have a steering wheel anymore. Everything is programmed. And it's about a small secretive group of people called the consortium who are trillionaires like we've never seen today who have such innovative technology that they run the entire world secretly. And he meets a scientist and an art curator who try to break the power of the consortium. The book is called Dark Matters, but what I want to tell all of you is that he ran a Kickstarter campaign to raise the funds to self-publish. The book has a hard cover, cloth cover, beautiful dust cover, great artwork, very well done, 335 pages. No, I'm not selling his book, but Kickstarter, he exceeded his ask and promised a future advance copy to all the people. So many people were interested in this topic and this and he's never written a novel before. So take a peek. Look on Kickstarter, look for Dark Matter, look for Michael Dow. I think you might enjoy it, the three of you. It could very much futuristic and it could uh, really tickle your fancy, if you will. So now it's officially time for sixty seconds each, or I'm already down to forty five seconds each for real predictions of the future. Futurist Frank Diana, what do you see that you want in addition to this great content we've covered today? What do you want our listeners to know about the future? What's coming soon? I'll give you 45 seconds. Frank, Diana at TCS, go. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, I think the, the next decade is about these emerging future scenarios. And you know, the driverless car being just one example of those things that gets a lot of press all of a sudden. And we'll see a number of these things emerge and get more uh, meat behind them, if you will. But I do think that the next couple decades will be a struggle, societal struggle, because we're already seeing that our, our legal system, our regulatory system, a number of structural things are just not ready for what's coming. They're still really anchored in the past, and I I see some struggle as the world tries to embrace and and adapt to what's coming. So it's obviously mostly good, but I do think uh, there's a struggle ahead. Thank you. We are in the midst of that struggle right now. I think we can all agree with that. We're seeing it. We're living it. We're seeing it on the news every 22 seconds. So thank you. No, I didn't put CNN on today, but I'm going to after the show to see what what has changed dramatically in the world. Grace Scott, predictions, real predictions. Uh, You can have full 45, 60 seconds. Go ahead at your leisure, Mr. Scott. Well, I do think that we're going to see um, more interaction between uh, individuals and artificially intelligent machines that are going to change the way we think of uh, who we are as a species, how we run our business, and those things go hand in hand. So in the near future, you're going to have direct context. You're going to have direct context to not only your fellow human beings, but your customers. And I'm talking digital-to-brain context, where we're using EEG headsets to 
dive into literally the brain of, of our fellow humans. I mean, that's going to that's gonna change the world as we know it. And that technology is not science fiction. That technology is absolutely here today. And so when, when companies say, well, we don't really know, we don't have that kind of access, we do. And so to, to the prediction that I have for people is get ready for the next layer. The next layer is not just big data sets. The next layer is what are people really thinking? Hmm. I wonder what you are really thinking. I think we just found <laughs> out, Craig. Thank you. I, I, I didn't need a headset for that. Kai Girlish, I can give you, oh, 30 seconds. I'm so sorry. Predict fast. What do you see, Kai? Yeah, I only have two predictions. So uh, I do what a futurist should never do. I come up with some concrete predictions. In seven years, that's 2023, we will have robotic laws like the ones that Isaac Asimov came up with because we have to. And in uh, five years, I predict that 50% of the developed countries will have a basic income idea run up and running. Okay, thank you very much. Very profound and very provocative. Gentlemen, this has been very interesting. I don't think we've ever had a show just talking about what a futurist does, what a futurist thinks, how a futurist predicts the future, how you work, what you do. So I want to thank you for sharing some of your insights, and I think we had a couple of secrets shared here today. Frank, Diana at TCS, please give my regards to Tiffany Stronsky and all the good people you work with. Gray Scott, glad you're in New York today. Enjoy the weather. Always a pleasure. Uh, Gray, your picture I have here looks like it would be on a book cover. I don't know if you've already published a book, but you, you need to be on a book cover somewhere. Kai Gorlish, always a pleasure. Kai, my team speaks so highly about you. I'm on uh, Glenn Green's news services team, and your, your name oh, comes up you. frequently. So just so you know, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I am thankful to Brad Borkin at SAP for coming up with this great topic for his series, the one he sponsors, Future of the Future with Game Changers. It's time for us to say goodbye. I'll be back tomorrow with a brand-new edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. And Thursday we have, what do we have? We have uh, Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers about SMEs and the Seller's Guide to SEO. You don't want to miss that one. So here we go. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.